the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. GOP.org. Join me and other special guests for an evening with Prager. Get motivated for 2024. Get your tickets now at MedinaGOP.org. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land... We unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Alrighty then. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday. It's a special Wednesday, the 14th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord 2024. It's a dual day, of course. It is a... Uh, an important day for the romantic in your life, uh, or for the romance in your life, or just the people that you love the most. It is Valentine's Day, so I wish you a happy Valentine's Day. In fact, I might even have a, um, I might even be able to share with you a Valentine's greeting from from uh, two people that you uh, you would recognize. Let me see if I can pull this off on just a moment's notice here, because it's just kind of a last second idea. But uh, uh, there might be a there might be something here that you would enjoy. So as I wish you this happy Valentine's Day, uh, let's see if we can get a happy Valentine's Day from these two guys. It's going to work, I promise. I want to wish you a happy Valentine's Day, even if you're a sad, lonely loser with no lover, by the way, because we know you're going to go to CVS and buy chocolate and eat it alone. And you love to do it because you're a little fat, so. And sweet baby Cupid is doing a lot of great work. He's a good friend of mine. He's launching arrows. And we're supplying him with the best American arrows money can buy, folks. Look. Folks. Folks. Cupid. Cupid's coming to town, man. Baby. Baby with a diaper. Gross. <laughs> it's just my daughter sent that to me this morning to my wife and me uh, from uh, from her from uh, Tennessee, and it's Happy Valentine's Day, and it was it's it's a comedian impression whatever he is I don't know if he's a professional or if he's just a a street guy but um, he. <laughs> 
<laughs> he does a very good Trump and Biden. Happy Valentine's Day from the last two presidents, Trump and Biden. So I just thought I'd share that with you because it made me chuckle this morning, and that's exactly what I needed. And uh, hopefully it made you do the same thing. It's better when you look at his face because he's not them, but he sounds, I mean, it's pretty spot on. There are a few people who can do Trump, very few people who can do Trump uh, as well as that. Biden, too. Uh, that was that was pretty doggone good. Anyway, it is uh, Valentine's Day, but of course today also marks the uh, beginning of the extraordinarily holy, the holy season, quite frankly, on the uh, ca- Catholic calendar, as it is Ash Wednesday. So um, I want to wish everyone a blessed Ash Wednesday. And if you have uh, plans today to go to a mass, go to a service and get ashes, uh, that is outstanding. I'm going to try to make that happen this afternoon uh, for me. And uh, and I wish you the very best in trying to do whatever it is that you have to do and that we have to do to uh, sacrifice something uh, just in honor of the 40 days and nights that Christ sacrificed uh, while being tempted uh, in the in the desert by the devil. Uh, it's uh, just such an extraordinary time, which, of course, will culminate in the saving of all of humanity on Easter. So uh, a happy start to this very important Lenten calendar. Okay, big big show today. Coming up in about less than a half an hour, Bernie Marino is going to join us. Bernie is, well, he's under attack. He's under attack. As you know, it's a three-man race for the United States Republican nomination, uh, United States Senate, I should say, Republican nomination uh, to replace uh, Sherrod Brown, or to boot Sherrod Brown. Brown wants to stick uh, where he is for a fourth time. But uh, Bernie and Frank LaRose and Matt Dolan are going at it. And Dolan and uh, LaRose are coming at Bernie Marino hard, in part because he has surged plus 10 in the polls since the last one that came out and uh, now has a slim lead over the other two gentlemen. And uh, all three of them are polling in about the same way with uh, Sherrod Brown, all within the margin of error, all within a plus one or a minus one or two. Uh, inside the two-and-a-half-point margin of error. Anyway, Bernie Moreno, though, has the positive momentum from the Trump endorsement, and he is taking a lot of fire. Um, and by the way, for the record, we have invited uh, uh, Matt Dolan to come on the program to no avail. And, of course, we have had Frank Dolan, uh, Frank uh, LaRose on the program numerous times, as we have with Bernie Moreno, and we will talk to all of them again. In fact, we have a, an invitation out. Seth, right, you sent the invitation to these uh, gentlemen to come and uh, share the studio with us, yes? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We're going to make that happen. Yeah, we're trying to bring all three of them into our studio uh, where we will sit, and we've got plenty of space and uh, and have what I want to call a candidate forum. I don't want to call it a debate because that might kind of scare them away, not that they're afraid of debating, but I don't want to turn this into a shouting and insult fest over one another, but a candidate forum, more of a, hey, you answer me and uh, the questions that I have. Uh, rather than going tooth and nail with your opponents. But it'll evolve into whatever it evolves into if we can get them in the studios. I'm confident the two of them will agree. Uh, less confident about Matt Dolan, who, again, who has not been receptive to our invitation. Uh, but we will try to get them all in. But today it's going to be Bernie because, in large part, the, there was a WKYC news story, Channel 3, um, essentially saying that Bernie Moreno's claims that he made on this program in response to um, in response to allegations that he uh, uh, essentially lost lawsuits about not paying his employees properly years ago, uh, particularly as it come, or pertains to overtime, that was the, the 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 message. 
And Bernie came onto this program and answered the questions for me because I read the story and I knew what the allegations were. And I said, Bernie, was it real? Did you pay these people off? And Bernie told me, gave me an explanation that WKYC wanted to look into. And I'm going to play the report here after we do our pledge. But they wanted to look into to see if it's true. Um, was Bernie Moreno's claim that uh, there was a federal judge that overturned um, – in fact, Bernie's direct quote was that a, a, a quote, extreme lunatic judicial Supreme Court over there in Massachusetts overturned federal law. Not a federal judge overturning, it was overturned federal law. And they made the ruling retroactive so that the salespeople, the people who worked for him, that their overtime could not be deducted from their commission. So Channel 3 did a, an in-depth report on this. And I, it doesn't look good for Bernie Moreno. It doesn't. They're, they're finding, after doing the research, and uh, doing their own little dive, whatever, how deep you want to call it, uh, their finding is that it was false, that the answer that Bernie Moreno gave was false. And so I called Bernie Moreno last night, and I said, Bernie, you got to come on and, and address this, because uh, it was on my show that this whole thing took place. Uh, and I said, will you come on and square it up and clear the record on this? And he said, absolutely. So we're going to have him on in about uh, now about 20 minutes at about 935 we're also going to ask him, by the way, about some of the other attacks he's taken from uh, LaRose and Dolan on TV, um, suggesting that Bernie Moreno is pro-amnesty for illegal immigrants. I've had Bernie on the program many, many times. He wants to seal the border in any way and every way imaginable. He does not want amnesty from what he has told me, but the ad says that he lobbied in favor of Obama's amnesty and supports Biden's border uh, plans. This is what the probably you have probably seen it because it's played a lot. So they're getting a lot of run. Um, and I'm going to ask Bernie Moreno about that too. Is it true? What did you say about Obama's plan? Why are they saying that you supported amnesty? We'll get into all of that with Bernie coming up at 9:35. At 10:10, we're going to talk to an author named Bruce Eberly, uh, who uh, is doing some work for the Young Americas Foundation. It's called Choose Freedom, and it's a phenomenally important one if you've got kids in high school and maybe even in college. It was written for high school and college age students who are being bombarded by socialist and sexualist propaganda in high school as well as on social media every day. It urges uh, the young reader to reject cultural Marxism, sometimes known as wokeism, and to reject socialism. And it teaches, it teaches them how to push back and to be active in the conservative movement and not be afraid of being canceled for doing so. It's called Choose Freedom. So Bruce Eberly at uh, 1010. At 1035, uh, we're going to talk to John Mills about the decision by the um, special counsel in the Biden um, classified documents case. But how similar it is to the Hillary Clinton treatment from James Comey. Remember when James Comey investigated, did this big, long FBI investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails? Then he came out about uh, three, four weeks before the election in 2016 and told the world about all of the crimes she had committed about how many top-level classified documents were uploaded to her bathroom server in her home in Chappaqua, New York, and how they were accessed by foreign actors. I mean, all things that would have put you and me in prison for years, maybe decades. He spent the entire 20 minutes talking about how bad this was, and then at the end said, but no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. Bye, everybody. Same thing happened with Biden. 
So we're going to talk to retired Colonel John Mills. He's the author of The Nation Will Follow and War Against the Deep State. He sees deep state in this treatment, uh, especially the disparate treatment between Biden and his classified documents and what they're trying to do to Trump, which is lock him up for, for years. Uh, and then at 1110, Emily Lauer, Vice President of PR and Communications for Destination Cleveland, the tourism board in Cleveland, which is aiming to obviously bring in more tourists, bring in more dollars, drive revenue. It's a wonderful thing. They spent some money on a puppy bowl ad on Super Bowl Sunday. It wasn't during the game, so they didn't spend $7 million for a 30-second spot. But they had an ad in the pregame during the puppy bowl, which featured a lot of things that are uniquely Cleveland, eating by the lake, you know, which is, of course, special. A Brown's tailgate, street performers downtown, looks like concerts, the dog was vending, the Capitol Theater. You know, they got all these wonderful, unique Cleveland things, but then they also decided to include, and it took a listener yesterday, it was yesterday, who uh, alerted me to this, a drag show. The dog, the, the show, the uh, ad features uh, a dog going through all of the uniquely Cleveland things that you can experience if you come to Cleveland. Obviously, it was the nod toward the puppy bowl. And one of the places the dog went was to a drag show, watching grown men dancing around in outlandish, garish, uh, sexualized uh, uh, attire. And the dog is wearing a T-shirt that says, Tip Your Queens. That's family-friendly tourism ad on Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about it with a representative from Destination Cleveland, Vice President of PR Communications. So then I'll be at 1110. So there you got it. There you have it, I should say. We've got Bernie Moreno. We've got Bruce Eberly. We've got John Mills. And we've got Emily Lauer, all scheduled for the program today. All of those uh, interviews, I think, are going to be very important for obviously very different reasons. But you're going to want to be here for those. Now, since you are here, what do you say we pay some respect to the glorious country that we are allowed to live in? the greatest force for good in the history of human civilization, as far as I'm concerned. It's represented by a flag. Let's pledge our allegiance to it now. If you've got one nearby, face it uh, and put your hand on your heart while you stand. And if you don't uh, believe in it, then don't fake it. If you are a believer in open borders, if you are a believer in high crime, if you are a believer in taking away people's uh, free speech rights, if you're a believer, in other words, American leftism, then don't bother standing and faking it. Just go ahead and take a knee so everybody knows who you are and what you are like the other little Marxists. For those who believe, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Uh, Johnny Hiles says the uh, planned Dolan La Rose Marino in studio candidate forum live on Always Right Radio sounds more like Senate cage match. And you know what? Maybe Senate candidate cage match. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but um, I love the idea and we're going to work on making that happen one way or the other. If we can only get them one at a time because they don't want to do that uh, showdown type thing, then we'll get them one at a time to the best we can anyway, but we plan to try to make that happen. So I'm going to play this. <clears throat> Just in advance of my first uh, guest, which is Bernie Marino, um, this is what uh, Channel 3 put together, doing a little investigative research, as they would call it, on the claim that uh, the court overturned federal law retroactively requiring something new and unexpected of employers, which is to pay commissioned employees for overtime hours worked. This was an allegation against Bernie Marino, and this is what Channel 3 found. So let's let's listen. 
Republican candidate for U.S. Senate Bernie Marino lost a Massachusetts lawsuit related to overtime wage theft. Then, on January 23, 2024, he made these claims about losing on the Always Right radio show with Bob France. The Massachusetts case was an extreme lunatic uh, judicial uh, Supreme Court over there that, over, that overturned federal law. They made the ruling retroactive so that salespeople uh, overtime cannot be deducted from their commission. To verify Marino's claims that first, the court overturned federal law, and second, it retroactively required something new and unexpected of employers, we looked at Massachusetts court documents, Massachusetts state regulations, the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act, and talked with labor and employment lawyer Joyce Goldstein. Marino was referring to two different court cases in his claims, a lawsuit filed against Marino in 2017 and a separate Massachusetts Supreme Court ruling that Marino was not a part of from 2019. Marino was sued in 2017 for failing to pay overtime wages to two car salespeople based on a 2015 Massachusetts state regulation requiring employers to pay workers separately for overtime even if they earn commission on sales. Federal law doesn't require that. Ms. Goldstein explains why that matters. The Fair Labor Standards Act, the federal statute, provides the floor, and then states are permitted to require employers to do more than that. And in this case, the state of Massachusetts did that. While the lawsuit against Marino was proceeding, the Massachusetts Supreme Court decided a separate case that Marino was not a part of before the lawsuit against Marino was decided. That court confirmed in 2019 that employers must pay workers separately for overtime hours, even if they earn commission on sales, based on the 2015 state regulation. So we can verify that Marino's claims are false. First, the Massachusetts courts did not overturn federal law. The courts did not change any law. The courts confirmed how the 2015 Massachusetts regulation interacts with previously existing federal law. And second, Nothing new and unexpected was retroactively required of employers in either court's verdict. Once the 2015 state regulation went into effect, employers were required to pay for overtime worked, even for workers who earn commission on sales. Marino was ultimately ordered to pay more than $400,000 to his former employees after having been found liable for stolen overtime wages and went on to settle more than a dozen similar lawsuits before announcing his candidacy for Ohio's U.S. Senate seat in 2023. With your Verify, I'm Stephanie Haney. All right. So once again, uh, credit to Channel 3 for that report. WKYC did the investigation, and they said what they said. Now, I am not here to either confirm nor dispute anything that was found in that report, anything that was found in the um, Massachusetts court documents, their state regulations, the Fair Labor Standards Act, any of those things. I'm just here to call balls and strikes because Bernie, and I invited Bernie to come back on because, well, again, this whole thing was based on what he said on this program. There were allegations against him about this uh, lawsuit that were brought up in the, uh, I don't even know if you should call them allegations. There were questions asked of him in the televised debate that you probably saw on Fox 8, um, in which Bernie was asked about that question, about the um, 
lawsuit issue against him and uh, had to pay off employees. Uh, and so I asked Bernie that in a follow-up interview on these airwaves, and uh, you heard what he said, and you now you have heard the report from WKYC. So I said, well, this kind of all started with Bernie's response on this program, so I think it, should, it deserves clarity on this program. And Bernie agreed wholeheartedly and uh, enthusiastically said, yes, sir, he's going to be here this morning. So in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk to Bernie about that. So that's uh, our first point of conversation. Yes, I am well aware that yesterday the um, Republicans in the uh, in the uh, U.S. State House did what they were supposed to do in the House of Representatives. I'm sorry, not State House. Beg your pardon. In the U.S. House of Representatives, did what they were supposed to have done last week. They corrected the error. They did indeed impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. That is a very very good outcome. Still very very skeptical of some of the things that they are doing. Um, uh, with our very, very slim majority because it got slimmer yesterday because of the votes, vote that was taken and votes that were cast by many, including, by the way, uh, Congressman Max Miller, for whom I otherwise have a great deal of respect. He was one of those who voted to boot George Santos from Congress on allegations alone, not on convictions, not on confirmation, but without due process, they booted him yesterday that paid off in flipping that red seat blue. Yesterday, the special election in New York between a Republican and a Democrat went to the Democrats. So the the slim margin that we already had, or majority that we already had in the uh, uh, in the House of Representatives, became even slimmer. I'm still livid about that. And I'm very, very distrusting of the Republican Party, both at the state level here in Ohio and at the federal level as well, because they just continue to try to shoot themselves in the foot, and they're very, very good at it. So they've harmed themselves. But they did do the right thing in finally getting Mayorkas impeached. The only thing left for that, uh, for him anyway, is to be locked up in Gitmo. And yes, this has to go to the Senate too, and they won't do anything with it, but this is a very important symbolic movement to uh, to impeach my uh, my Orcus. He ought to be locked up at Gitmo, honestly, for aiding and abetting the terrorists, the drug cartels, the gang members, the uh, uh, weapon smugglers, the human traffickers, and the foreign uh, uh, adversaries that continue to flow across our border by the millions. This was Alejandro Mayorkas' doing. It will be his legacy that he was impeached for it. And uh, the only thing that would make it better is to lock him up. All right, we'll get it. Dean, thank you for finally noticing. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. All right, indeed it is. And it's 937. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. And again, we played for you the full uh, context of the Channel 3 WKYC report that looked into Bernie uh, Marino's answer on this program from last month about the uh, lawsuit that he uh, ended up losing in Massachusetts over pay for overtime pay for some of his employees uh, at the time. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to replay the entire thing again, but just a portion of it before we talk to Bernie. Marino was referring to two different court cases in his claims, a lawsuit filed against Marino in 2017 and a separate Massachusetts Supreme Court ruling that Marino was not a part of from 2019. Marino was sued in 2017 for failing to pay overtime wages to two car salespeople based on a 2015 Massachusetts state regulation requiring employers to pay workers separately for overtime, even if they earn commission on sales. Federal law doesn't require that. Ms. Goldstein explains why that matters. 
the Fair Labor Standards Act, the federal statute provides the floor, and then states are permitted to require employers to do more than that. And in this case, the state of Massachusetts did that. While the lawsuit against Marino was proceeding, the Massachusetts Supreme Court decided a separate case that Marino was not a part of before the lawsuit against Marino was decided. That court confirmed in 2019 that employers must pay workers separately for overtime hours, even if they earn commission on sales, based on the 2015 state regulation. So we can verify that Marino's claims are false. All right. So that's the uh, gist of the uh, Channel 3 report that ran on uh, Monday. And uh, Bernie's, uh, there was in response to Bernie's answer on this program when he said that, quote, the Massachusetts case was an extreme lunatic judicial Supreme Court over there that overturned federal law. They made the ruling retroactive so that salespeople's overtime could not be deducted by their commission. So I asked Bernie Moreno last night to come on and square this up clarify any misunderstandings and uh he agreed wholeheartedly so let's welcome senate candidate bernie moreno, moreno back to always right radio bernie good morning thank you bob thank you for having me and always uh, appreciate the, yeah i'm sorry i always appreciate the chance to talk to you and uh, also your opponents in this race but obviously you're front and center now because as far as i can tell you ha- are surging in the polls in this race which will culminate on march 19th uh which has made you the target of a lot of attack ads i want to address all of those with you bernie but the first one of course is this channel 3 report in which they have uh, done their digging and said what you claimed on this program was false so i just gave you the uh uh the short version that uh, you just heard give us your response bernie sure well first of all that reporter is not a journalist She's a liberal activist. Uh, look at her social media feed. She's pathologically anti-Trump. She rage posts anti-conservative message all over her social media. She loves calling January 6th an insurrection. And, Bob, she didn't even call us to get our perspective. Imagine a journalist that says, hey, I'm doing this big story. What is your side of it? Like, what is your perspective? Nothing. Never reached out to us for a comment. Uh, it's totally crazy. But here's the summary of exactly what's missed. I'll say it very clearly. Mm-hmm. In 2015... There was a change made through a regulation, not a law, in Massachusetts. Every car dealership in Massachusetts, this is really important, every car dealership in Massachusetts, not mine, every single one in Massachusetts, and every other uh, business that had commissioned salespeople did not believe that that regulation applied to commissioned salespeople because of the way uniquely that they're paid. So my salespeople were paid a very large draw, and then they got commissioned the next pay period. Did not believe that any overtime... It's well established. Sorry, that yeah, was an autoplay. My apologies. That, that, Continue. That's okay. So it was very, very clear uh, in federal law that salespeople are exempt because they're commissioned. <clears throat> By the way, Bob, these are salespeople that are making ten dollars to $15,000 per month. So anyway, the case that was filed against me was the exact case that was filed against every single car dealership in Massachusetts. If you notice, uh, the, the activist did not put that in the, in the story, right? So this wasn't singling me out. In fact, ironically, I was one of very, very few dealerships that that did not get class action status because the majority of my salespeople didn't want to participate in the suit. The reality is my dealerships were closed on Sunday. We uh, We were not open late hours during the week. We took really good care of our salespeople in terms of making sure they had a good work life balance. I don't believe any of them even actually worked overtime. Uh, they certainly never claimed it, never asked for it. So anyway, the case, uh, when the case was filed against me, it was in suspension 
because they were waiting for the Mass Supreme Court to rule whether this regulation was legal or not and applied to salespeople. So two years later, the Mass Supreme Court ruled that, hey, uh, if you interpret this regulation incorrectly, too bad for you. And we're, and if you, you, you go all the way back to 2015, so they said retroactive to 2015, if you, uh, had this, uh, reading of this regulation incorrect, then you are liable. So every single dealership in Massachusetts settled for, by the way, multiple millions of dollars. I mean, dealerships settled, one dealership group settled for almost $22 million. I did not. I took it to trial because my salespeople did not sign up for class action. Uh, this, uh, now we had a very upset, crazy liberal judge that did everything in his power to make certain I lost. The two guys were awarded, uh, in the, by the way, in 15 minutes because <laughs> the jury decided exactly how much overtime they had worked over three years as a total joke, uh, about $20,000 because they wanted to get the heck out of there. But the reason the case became much higher is because in Massachusetts they put outrageous punitive damages and fees. So that's the case. That's the simple reality. But most importantly, Bob, this is what they do. This is what the left does. They want to destroy business people. They want to disparage my business. I'm very proud of my business. This is the game that they've played with President Trump. It's the, it's the preview what's going to come this fall between me and Sherrod Brown. They know it's going to be me versus Sherrod Brown. So rather than Sherrod Brown having to defend the fact that we're being invaded at our border, we have inflation that's killing working-class Americans and seniors. There's an assault on American energy. There's massive instability all over the world. We have leaders in D.C., including Sherrod Brown, that happy to send $114 billion to Ukraine, and the most important thing he's got uh, to do, and we have real problems in this country. That's well, we do, we do, and, and I want to hit. I want to hit some of those things, Bernie, as well, including the border, because of a couple of the other attacks. But I want to stay on the case for just a moment. First of all, so you, when you talk about punitive, you mean punitive. If you said that the judgment was twenty thousand dollars, according to the additional context provided by WKYC here, it says you were ultimately ordered to pay four hundred sixteen thousand dollars to your former employees. So all of that was considered no, punitive. No, no. No, no. <laughs> the former employees didn't get that. Uh, legal fees was a gigantic chunk of that. Uh, then they have, tr- they have trouble damages plus interest because remember this case was heard in 2022. Okay. So they went back to 2015. So the jury wasn't allowed to know all that. The jury was only allowed to know that, hey, one guy got 10 grand, the other got like whatever, eight grand. So they figured, hey, this guy, why is he even bothering us for a week for 20 grand? Not knowing that the twenty grand turns into four hundred twenty thousand, but again, okay. Bob, this is not a surprise. What's sad is that my Republican opponents, especially Dolan, who's a lawyer and knows better, are repeating these left-wing talking points. This is a massive distraction about what's actually going on and what this campaign is about. This campaign is about the future of this country. It's not about me. It's about the issues that I just laid out: the border invasion, inflation, massive government spending. Uh, we, we're sending billions of dollars to foreign countries. That Sherrod Brown doesn't want to talk about that. He's got the liberal media covering for him, so he doesn't have to talk about that because he'd rather talk about me. Well, I want to I want to talk about that, uh, but but for the moment, I do have to continue to talk about you with one other point in the WKYC report. Again, what I just read to you about the four sixteen two former employees was the way they worded it in their online report, that which accompanied their their on air video. Um, but the other thing they say is, and I'll quote this, Bernie, because I want you to answer it. People are asking. 
to add additional context here, Marino was sanctioned by the court in the lawsuit against him for destroying overtime records that he was ordered to keep while the case moved forward. Those records were destroyed in 2020 after the court, Supreme Court, Massachusetts, affirmed that workers who are in commission must be paid separately for overtime. And as punishment, the judge instructed the jury members that they could assume that the destroyed evidence would have hurt Marino's defense. Again, that's WKYC's wording. I want to give you a chance to answer that, too. Yeah, that wording would be the exact wording from the Ohio Democrat Party. The reality is this, Bob. We had payroll records that are electronic. They still exist today. Those records still exist today. The document that the judge obsessed about was every payroll, my controller put together a summary of overtime pay. That was a summary of what was in those payroll records. That was a literally man-made Excel spreadsheet. We did not keep that because, again, we had the underlying data. The judge made a whole show of this. We brought in every payroll record and said, hey, we can recreate that report right now. He said, no, it doesn't matter because what he was trying to do is prejudice the jury. Uh, we did not destroy payroll records. We, destroy, uh, we destroyed lots of documents that, of course, we purged uh, according to when they need to be purged. In that was uh, this Excel spreadsheet, which is irrelevant because, again, the underlying data still exists today. We could create those manual spreadsheets today. We offered that to the judge. But, again, his goal was to prejudice the jury because he was really, really upset that we were taking this case to trial because every other dealership in Massachusetts had agreed to settle this case. We had not. We are the only ones that actually took it to task because the reality, Bob, in this country, the legislative branch creates laws, not the executive branch. This is a regulation overreach of federal law. That's exactly what the Chevron case is that's going on in D.C. right now. This is what's wrong with our country today is we are not respecting the legislative powers reside in the Congress. Judges are not supposed to make law, and neither are executives. We are talking with Senate candidate Bernie Moreno. This is exactly why I wanted to have you on, to provide context and to provide some of the uh, missing pieces in the report by WKYC. And again, I'm not here to confirm or deny what anybody has said. I just want to give the opportunity for you to be heard and answer it. I do agree with you, by the way, that it's highly unprofessional for those who did that report on Channel 3 to not call you or contact your campaign to, to get a response to this, or your your attorneys or anybody else to say, hey, we're running this. Uh, what do you have to say? In, in you know in your own defense here because uh, if they had given you the opportunity I just gave you I think that report looks and sounds very very different at least well from and, where and, I sit, and Bob, so. sorry, Bob sorry, sorry to interrupt the other thing is they didn't even call a Massachusetts attorney because had they called a Massachusetts labor attorney they would have pointed out the key part of this whole deal this wasn't a case against me or my dealership this is a case against every dealership in Massachusetts every business that had commissioned salespeople they make it look like this is a case only about my dealership. And of course, like every liberal propaganda agent, they take the biggest word possible. Like January 6th, instead of saying, hey, it's a riot or, you know, the crowd got out of control, they say insurrection. And in this case, they say wage theft. They, that's what they do. This is, they are the propaganda machine of the Democrat Party. This is a preview. This is a sneak peek of what we're going to see for the rest of this year from Sheriff Brown, because he doesn't want to talk about the issues that you talk about in your show. Uh, and the reality is, again, what makes it sad is I, I expected that from Sherrod Brown. I didn't expect that kind of parroting of liberal talking points from my Republican opponents. 
Yeah, well, they, let, let's do some of those issues now, Bernie Marino. Um, you know, we'll look at this through the lens of the primary, not through the general against Sherrod Brown. Obviously, the primary is March 19th. I'm looking at a story in The Hill. Why is Bernie Marino, this is quoting one of your ads, why is Bernie Marino the only candidate endorsed by President Trump? Because Bernie is the only one who opposes amnesty for illegal immigrants. Frank LaRose supports amnesty and opposes deporting illegal immigrants. End quote. This is uh, what the narrator says in the 32nd ad. But a Dolan Super PAC has a website out and have been making commercials out of it as well called WhichBernie.com. It compares you to Bernie Sanders, uh, of course, who is a socialist and open borders advocate. One of the questions on their little Which Bernie quiz is, and I quote, Which Bernie joined with an organization founded by former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg to personally promote a, quote, pathway to legal residency for the 11 million unauthorized immigrants already living in the United States, end quote. Was it Bernie Marino or Bernie Sanders? And, of course, their answer to their own quiz is it was Bernie Marino. So I want to give you a chance to address that, too. Sure. I mean, that's a joke. Uh, If if you look at the article, I believe I sent it to you, Bob, it says that what I was talking about was maybe – we should be looking, and this is 10 years ago, by the way, for context, 10 years ago. Maybe we should look at giving legal residency to the children that came here decades ago. Maybe. That was 10 years ago. Here's what's ironic about Dolan doing that. His position today is that we should not only give the children of illegals amnesty, we should give all illegals amnesty. That's his current position. He said that at the debate in Medina, that he doesn't believe we should be deporting illegal immigrants that are here in this country. And Frank LaRose said we shouldn't do that because we can't, quote, take 20 million consumers out of this marketplace. America's not a marketplace. We're a sovereign nation with a culture, and we deserve to have a rule like my family had to go through, that you come here legally, you're not allowed to break our laws and then stay here. That's exactly what's encouraged this invasion of our country. And to still have that position today, after watching what's happened in the last three years, is absolutely disqualifying for my two opponents. Yeah, I do have the article that you referenced to Bernie uh, the, in the New American Economy. Uh, NewAmericanEconomy.org is the website. If anybody wants to look, from August 10, twenty sixteen, the headline: Immigrant Auto Dealership CEO wants a merit-based immigration system. And that is extraordinarily important. In fact, I think a lot of people have even suggested that some visa overstays. Now, we're not talking about illegal border crossers, but some who are here to study and get degrees and then stay past their visa. They are technically part of the 11 million, which I think now is 20-some million, but uh, illegal immigrants who are in the country. But if they have degrees and they can offer something to this country rather than take something from this country hence the merit-based immigration system, that maybe there's a way, a pathway to keep them here. Is that essentially what you were saying? Exactly right. If you notice, I said that the legal immigration has to benefit America. It can't be people that are coming here for handouts. This is as a business guy 10 years ago when I wasn't thinking about, even in the wildest imagination, running for public office. And again, Bob, my opponents today believe we should give amnesty to people who broke our laws, came into this country illegally, are taking our resources, are taxing our social safety net system. This is the exact policy of the Democrat Party. The other day, Matt Dolan said, well, we need far- we need people who work our farms. Wait, so that means that we want to encourage drug cartels to traffic children and women and illegals across our border, making billions of dollars to do that? That is an insane position to have today. Yes, that's the position he has. 
Yeah, and it also contained within this article, by the way, the one that you shared with me, Bernie, is uh, the line about, well, it doesn't say DACA, but it talks about children. Moreno also believes there should be a pathway to residency for the 11 million unauthorized immigrants already living in the United States, particularly those brought to the country as children. We can't throw out the people who came here as children. They don't know anyone from their home countries. We need to help them come out of the shadows. That was a very controversial issue during the Obama years, um, trying to legalize the DACA kids and actually put them on a pathway to citizenship. Has, has your viewpoint changed since 2016 when this article came out, or, or how do you how do you address that? Well, I never said citizenship. I don't I don't believe that they should. No, ever you didn't. Be provided you did not. No, no. You said pathway all. to residency. Very, to be exactly. very clear, not citizenship. Yep, so yes, yep, sir. Yep. Uh, and, and again, that was 2016, Bob. What have we seen over the last three years? What we've seen over the last three years is proof positive that that idea, that softening of the position is exactly what's encouraged the problem that we have right now. And I would, I would suspect a lot of your listeners, a lot of Republicans, probably back there weren't sure, you know, what do we do with these very uh, kids that came here when they were two, three years old, now they're in their 20s. Today it's crystal clear, Bob. And as harsh as it sounds, we have to have a zero-tolerance policy for illegal immigration. Because if we don't, if we don't have that zero-tolerance policy and deport anybody who's in this country illegally, we will never permanently solve the problem at the border. By the way, some Republicans listening today to your show may not agree with that. They may think it's too harsh. Certainly, my two opponents uh, do. They think that we should uh, look at ways to keep people who are here illegally. My answer is no. There's millions and millions of people that are waiting in line like my family did, waiting to come here legally. Why are we going to disparage those people, minimize what they've gone through to reward the people that broke the law? And Bernie Moreno, Senate candidate, uh, I've got one last one for you, and I've only got about a minute and a half here for you, so I apologize. But uh, the last attack that has been levied against you since you surged in the polls after the Trump endorsement um, came from uh, the Buckeye Reporter, an article that alleges that, and I've had you on many times talking about pro-life issues. I've had Frank LaRose on many times talking about pro-life issues. I think you're both pro-life. I have not had that occasion to talk to Matt Dolan, but I want to address this. From the Buckeye Reporter, they are pointing out that you sat on the board of the Cleveland Foundation, a foundation that ultimately ended up donating millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood, uh, the Center for Reproductive Rights, and other abortion mills, essentially. And the attempt there is to link you as a former board member of the Cleveland Foundation as being approving of those dollars going to the uh, Planned Parenthood centers. Can you please address that? That's just another disgusting lie from Frank LaRose. I sat on the board of the Cleveland Foundation. I'm proud of that did because I went right into the hornet's nest of crazy liberal ideology. Uh, these are donor-advised funds where donors are the ones who direct the money. The board doesn't decide where the money goes. The owners do. It's a donor-advised fund. Frank knows that. Here's the reality. Matt Dolan, very wealthy family. Not one cent to pro-life causes. Frank LaRose controlled uh, a million-dollar super PAC. According to his disclosure, has a million dollars in his bank account, hasn't given one dollar to pro-life causes. Bridget and I have given hundreds of thousands of dollars of our own money to pro-life causes. That he would link me with an organization that evil is just disgusting. The reality is I have the endorsement from, as you know, Ohio Right to Life that also endorsed Frank, and I have been a stalwart supporter of pro-life causes my entire life with my own money. These guys, typical career politicians, Bob, they love to spend taxpayer money and never put their own money where their mouth is, not even one dollar. That should tell you everything you need to know. 
Bernie Moreno, I really appreciate that. Thank you. These are very uh, tough issues. Of course, you have a target on your back when you take a, uh, you know, a giant leap in the polls the way you have. You're surging, and so this stuff is here, and I want to give everybody a chance to hear from you on that. By the way, I'm going to have Frank LaRosa coming on in the next couple of days again with a one-on-one like this. We have offered the same thing to Matt Dolan, and I'll ask both of them, if I can, what I'm about to ask you. Will you commit to joining me in our studio in Independence? we got plenty of room. There's plenty of microphones and plenty of desk space for a candidate forum with the three of you. Will you commit to that? Bernie? I would love to. I already told your producer I gave him some dates in March. I gave him three different dates. I would love to do it. Uh, it would be my honor to, uh, to do that with you. I, I appreciate that very much. I'd like to get that locked in for the first week of March when people go, of course, and uh, start voting. The early voting uh, starts 30 days before March 19th, so we'd like to get that done as quickly as we can. I will invite Frank LaRose and Matt Dolan the same exact way on the air to get their responses, if, of course, they come on with me. OP.org. Join me and other special guests for an evening with Prager. Get motivated for 2024. Get your tickets now at MedinaGOP.org. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right. Hour number two is underway. Good morning. It's eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this uh, Wednesday. It's a special Wednesday, the 14th morning of the second month. Happens to be the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024, as it is each and every February. But it's a special day because it is uh, Valentine's Day. So happy uh, Valentine's Day to you and to those uh, uh, that are closest to you. It is also, of course, uh, the beginning of the holy season of Lent, if you are a Catholic and um, you are embarking upon a journey of self-sacrifice and uh, uh, trying to trying to mirror uh, our Lord and Savior and uh, what he was able to endure for 40 days of temptations, uh, 40 days and 40 nights, uh, if you're uh, starting in that and, of course, culminating in the Savior of all of humanity by way of his... Uh, uh, rising on Easter Sunday, then I wish you a very, very blessed start to this Lenten season. Um, okay, thanks to uh, Bernie Moreno. Great conversation uh, with Bernie, trying to clarify some of uh, what he characterizes as hit jobs by very left-wing journalists, including those at uh, WKYC Channel 3 that did that report, claiming that he was uh, 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 that he lied, uh, did not tell the truth about what happened in those cases. Also talked about the immigration story and also the Planned Parenthood allegations as well. If you missed that interview, we're going to have it posted at whkradio.com, I don't know, very soon, within the hour. Say that. Within the hour, it'll be posted on its own at whkradio.com. I will ask you to resist the temptation to listen to it before 1145 when we're done, because then you're going to miss something else that's very important. So save that for uh, listening after the show. But Bernie Moreno uh, addressed some very important allegations. And, of course, with that uh, primary coming up on March 19th, tick-tock, 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 just barely over a month now, uh, all of that is important for you to know. So uh, if you missed it, listen to that a little bit later today from the website, whkradio.com. I'll pivot now and talk a little bit about schools, kind of, sort of. Um, we all know what is going on in our schools, quite frankly, at the primary level, even the preschool level, really. 
even the pre-K level, uh, the indoctrination has begun in so many different spaces. All you need to do is look online at the social media influencers and see the blue-haired, uh, gauge-wearing, nose-ring-wearing, quote-unquote, preschool teachers talking to your little kids about uh, what sex they want to be and what sexuality they want to express. It's extraordinarily disturbing. But they're doing that there. They're doing it at the primary level, at the junior high level, at the high school and college level, obviously. The question is, is who's going to push back? Who's going to give some kind of an opportunity for young kids to um, choose a different path than the indoctrination? Well, Bruce Eberly is uh, one of those people that's trying to do that. He wrote a book called Choose Freedom that, as I mentioned to you in the open this morning, uh, is expressly written for high school and college-age kids who are being bombarded by socialist and sexualist propaganda uh, in those um, in those academic areas, uh, as well as the social media influencers every single day. Uh, so joining us now is Bruce Eberly to tell us about this book and uh, the importance of getting it into the hands of as many of America's Gen Zers as we can. Bruce, it's good to have you on the program. How are you? Good, Bob. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's an important book, and I love the fact that you're partnering with Young America's Foundation to get this in as many young hands as possible. Tell us about the challenges as you see them. We'll get into the specifics of some of the chapters shortly, but give us give me an overview of the challenge of getting kids to be able to see another side of a coin that is not being presented to them in their schools. Well, Bob, you did a great job this morning of telling everybody what's going on because you are exactly right. Children are being indoctrinated. Uh, we were used to children being indoctrinated in college. We were not so much used to them being indoctrinated in preschool or in uh, kindergarten or in uh, first grade, third grade, fourth grade, and that's what's happening now. And, uh, and I frankly think this is a sign of panic in some ways by the left in that they can see themselves losing ground. Because I live in Virginia, and in Virginia today, uh, the fact that we have a Republican governor is due primarily to the fact that the radical sexualists overstepped in Virginia. And uh, that had ramifications in the election year, and it's going to continue to have ramifications in Virginia and in other places. But I didn't write Choose Freedom for political reasons. I wrote it for, for so that people that are of high school and college age can have an understanding of how what makes America unique. Why is America uniquely prosperous? Why has America been a country known as a great nation, but not only is a great nation, a good nation? And so I wrote it in a way that I tried to explain them in their language in short uh, chapters and uh, going through it, how it fits in that we become this nation that is the... Uh, greatest nation in the history of the world. And that's denied today, of course, by uh, Hannah Jones and her 16, uh, 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 19 project. But uh, there, there, it's so easy when you simply state the facts to knock down these lies by the left. And that's really what I tried to do. And I start out, and I use sort of as an artifice, the Sharon statement uh, by created by Young Americans for Freedom back in 1960 at the home of William F. Buckley, because I see that as the inflection point, the point at which the modern conservative movement started. And this modern conservative movement is nothing less than a reflection of the ideals of America's founders. And that's exactly what I try to get across in the book. 
And one of the important points I try to make is that there is a reason that progressives and conservatives never agree on any issue. And that reason is simply a misunderstanding of human nature by the progressive left. Everything they do is based upon this misunderstanding. They have written in countless times throughout history and stated in many cases they believe that human nature, they can improve human nature. And in fact, I got to know a, a, uh, a, a, a man who was a Ph.D. and taught at a, school, at a university in New York State, and he was a dyed-in-the-wool leftist. His, in fact, his mother had gone young Communist League camp, and uh, so he was really uh, totally involved in that. And his view was that, you know, we are, as progressives, he said to me, we are intellectually, uh, we are intellectually and ethically superior to you on the right. And we are morally superior. Now, that sounds pretty astounding for the things they propose. But the difference between conservatives and liberals, again, this misunderstanding of human nature. We as conservatives, and I as a Christian, understand that I am a sinful human being. I am fallible. They reject that whole idea. They believe they can perfect human beings. It only takes a matter of time. In fact, in a book in 1907, uh, Herbert Crowley the chief theoretician of that, the progressive movement, uh, he t- said that the fate of democracy in the world rests upon the perfection of human beings. Isn't that a ridiculous statement? It is indeed. It is, a, and it's a dangerous statement too. Um, we're, we're talking with uh, Bruce Eberly this morning on AM 1420, the answer about his new book. It's called Choose Freedom. Bruce, you are uh, an author many times over. Uh, you you ghost wrote a boat for Dr. Ben Carson. You assisted in writing with John Philip Sousa, Rx for America, among other things. But um, you got you, you identify why you're, you are the right person to write this particular book at this particular time, not because of books you've written, but because of persuasive letters you've written. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, in the funny thing is, I have a degree in mechanical engineering, but I think I must have been the worst mechanical engineer that ever graduated with a degree. Uh, and I was totally uninterested in it. And so I got all the way out of engineering and went way over, and I had a fascination with how do I raise money to help conservatives. And that was the real thing that drove me. And so I was self-taught to a great extent. I didn't work for any other agency in advance, and I started raising money a little bit on the side, even when I was in the Army. And uh, so uh, I went to work for a company in Washington, D.C., uh, and was there uh, several years. And then I uh, started my own company in 1974. And in the period of that time, uh, the company that I started raised over a billion dollars for conservative organizations and candidates and other PACs and, and worthwhile groups. And so I spent my time, but my love of my life was writing copy. And so I learned how to persuade people to do things. Not to fool them, not to confuse them, but rather to help them understand the importance of what their dollars can mean in helping a conservative candidate win and helping PACs win. We were the fundraiser, uh, and I wrote the copy for Ronald Reagan when he ran for president in 1975-76, and we raised money for Pat Buchanan and Jack Kemp and a number of other candidates, and we also were the ones that raised money, as you noted, uh, for the draft Ben Carson for pre- national draft Ben Carson for president committee. Uh, 
and in doing so. And I learned what it is that interests people and is important to people. And therefore, I wrote this book with that knowledge in mind as I wrote it, that I wanted to persuade young people to join the conservative cause. That is the bottom line of the book. And now not everybody's going to join the conservative cause, but young people are being so misled today that they need to understand about America. And so I wrote this book, even uh, in the first chapter, I simply say, you can skip certain things if you already know all these things, because I don't want them to slow down or, or put the book down. I want them to read it. But most of all, I want them to understand that freedom and faith are essential to uh, to our nation if we are to survive. And freedom can only survive if, as the founders said, people are virtuous. And by virtuous, they meant they seek to do God's will. They are exercise self-restraint. They have compassion. They are concerned about the welfare of others. They're honest in their dealings and so forth. And so I, I, I go into that in great depth in here, but I use the quotes of the founders along the way. And the book, by the way, has 440 uh, end notes, so it, it's well documented. And but they, that way, they can check it out. And if they challenge when they use it in school, they'll still be able to back it up. Yeah, and that's it. Talk- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you, thank you, uh, Bruce. Uh, we're talking to Bruce Eberly, author of "Choose Freedom: Embrace It, Understand It, Defend It." You've you've referenced the founders a couple of times now in your comments, and you write about this pretty extensively in chapters five and six. Well, excuse me, the difference between the progressive movement and the conservative movement. In chapter six, you talk about how the progressive movement was founded in the late 1800s by angry young white men in the South who were too young to fight but were old enough to cheer for victory for the South uh, in the Civil War. But in Chapter 5, you talk about the conservative conservative movement being born in the roots of the philosophy of the founders in, in the uh, mid to late 1700s. Can you give us a little bit more on that? Yes. Well, I think that's uh, always amazed me. I uh, When I got into doing the research on this, today uh, progressives, as they call themselves now, and before that they were liberals, and before that they were progressives back in the 1890s, and everybody, they portray themselves as these great defenders of freedom and great defenders of minorities and great defenders of civil rights. And none of that holds any water. In fact, the way it came about was that uh, Richard T. Ely, uh, and who wrote in the, he wrote books for almost 40 years from the 1880s into 1940. And uh, he tr- actually grew up in the South, as did Woodrow Wilson as did others, and they, he traveled to Germany and went to the so-called Frankfurt School in Germany, mm-hmm. which espoused the uh, philosophy of Fred, Friedrich Hegel. And so he was a neo-Hegelian when he came back, and there was, he was not the only one. And there was a lot of young men who were angry, that, as you said, about the fact that the South had lost, and so they wanted to create a new movement. And they rejected the founding principles of of the founders. They were the first movement of any kind in the United States of any significance to do that. And they actually originated segregation, Jim Crow laws, uh, literacy tests, poll taxes, and, and the like. And they not only did it in the South, and they spread it across the country. And yes, and there were some Republicans that went along with it too, but they, we, as you know, have a lot of liberal Republicans 
we have in history in our party. So they blame us for these things, but they're actually the ones guilty of. And so uh, it is a, they, they, it's a false presentation. And as you might remember, that right after the turn of the 21st century, Hillary Clinton was the one that said that she was no, she was not going to be known as a liberal anymore. She was going to be gone, known as a progressive. Well, you kind of wonder what happened to the word progressive originally. Well, what happened was uh, the progressive movement got into the pseudoscience of eugenics, and the purpose of eugenics was basically to sterilize black Americans mm-hmm. to diminish their numbers because that was what, since they were from the South, that's exactly what they wanted to do. And they, eugenics was, and then eugenics got tied in to actually the, uh, the German party, the Nazi German party, because, uh, she, uh, the founder of the uh, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, actually worked with a man named, uh, Rudin, and he was an assistant or associate with Hitler, and Rudin wrote three, uh, in three consecutive months, he had an article in the, her publication for plan, what became Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So this rotten history of the progressive movement is little known in America, and of course it's hidden, but it, it totally exists. And really, if Hillary wanted to change back the word progressive, and then she also gushed over Woodrow Wilson, well, you got to wonder about Wilson, because uh, Wilson was the first of the uh, public... Uh, politicians on the Democratic Party to really espouse things that were different from the founders. In fact, he gave a 1907 uh, Independence Day address at the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce. That was before he was elected president. And he said, quote, each generation must form its own conception of what liberty is. Mr. Jefferson and his colleagues in the Continental Congress prescribed the meaning of liberty and I, the meaning of liberty I wrote in there so for information, for no generations but their own. We are not bound to adhere to the doctrines held by the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We are as free as they were to make and unmake governments. And that's about as strong a break as you can with American traditions as you can happen. And Wilson, of course, was an accidental president. He was not elected with a majority of the vote. He could have never gotten one, but... Uh, William Howard Taft was the Republican candidate, and then Teddy Roosevelt ran as a third-party candidate on the Bull Moose ticket and uh, split the Republican vote, and that's how Woodrow Wilson became president, and it led to all sorts of mischief. Well, I'll tell you what, I appreciate that history lesson, Bruce Eberly, and I want to remind, uh, well, tell people, rather, um, that the Young America's Foundation that you work with uh, purchased thousands of copies of this book to give to high school and college-age young Americans to get it in their hands and in front of their eyes. How can people get one of them? Um, is, is that part over, or is it just about purchasing it now, or how can people get the book? Well, uh well, I will say, first of all, you can purchase it if you go directly to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And by the way, I should put in a plug for Barnes & Noble. The owner of Barnes & Noble is not a radical leftist like most of them are. But uh, also, at, if you probably write to Young America's Foundation and tell them you would like a copy of the book for your child, they'd probably give you one. But they are distributing them rather rapidly, so I don't know exactly what their uh, supply is at this point in time. Uh, but... Uh, Certainly, Young America's Foundation is a great place to go, but I want to say that it, along with Turning Point USA and Campus Reform, are great conservative organizations, each having its own purpose and each working together on campus to advance the conservative cause. 
Well, that's uh, that's what it's all about. It's so extraordinarily important to get this information to young kids before it is too late and it's too hard to, uh, you know, de- uh, um, deprogram them, if you will, from some of the indoctrination that they will face at the particularly the higher levels of uh, their academic careers. Uh, Bruce Eberly, thank you so much for doing what you do. Thank you for the book and thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Thank you. All right, it is 1026. We're going to get a timeout here in just a moment. We're going to come back, and we're very heavy today. And we are going to be talking about the meltdown that the conservative, or excuse me, the, the uh, legacy and leftist and mainstream media is having over the special counsel's report of, um, of uh, the uh, Joe Biden uh, classified documents case. In other words, saying he's too weak-minded and feeble to stand trial, but he's still the president of the United States. How does that compare to two others? .com. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. Alrighty, it is 1037. Good Wednesday to you. Thanks for sticking with us here on AM 1420. The answer, if you just tuned in, thanks for joining. You're a little late. You missed a lot of very important conversations, particularly in hour number one. We spoke with Senate candidate Bernie Marino, who was responding to attacks uh, by some of his opponents in the primary race, but most importantly, to a news story run by WKYC Channel 3, the very, very, very left-wing WKYC Channel 3 that did a piece on uh, his um, alleged wage theft uh, due to a lawsuit that he faced in Massachusetts years and years ago. Responded to all of it, and I think you're going to want to hear it. It's at whkradio.com on the podcast page. Make sure you tune in after the show ends so you don't miss anything that's coming up here on AM 1420, The Answer. We also spoke with Bruce Eberly from Young America's Foundation. His book is Choose Freedom, Embrace It, Understand It, and Defend It. Now, I want to turn our attention back to Angry Joe. He was big-time mad last Thursday when he uh, took uh, the opportunity to have a primetime press conference. You knew something was up because they never let him out at night. Uh, usually they call a lid by 11 a.m. Uh, in Joe Biden's world, but uh, he made them put him on camera and in front of a very, very aggressive pack of journalists. Believe it or not, journalism was restored, at least for one evening, when they questioned him about the special counsel's report that says the man can't stand trial because the man is an old man with a very poor memory and nobody's going to want to convict him because they're going to feel sorry for him. Is that the guy, the guy who should be the leader of the free world? Joining us now to talk about it. As a man who has done his duty and the duty of several other people, because he spent 35 years doing it, and I'm talking about retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, John Mills, 35 years of service to our uh, Constitutional Republic. I'm sorry, not Lieutenant Colonel, just Colonel. Uh, our Constitutional Republic. Uh, he served in, uh, what, five different eras? Is that right? Five different eras of war. Uh, the Cold War, peace dividend, the war on terror, the world in chaos, and now the great showdown with China. He's also an author, the author of The Nation Will Follow and War Against the Deep State. Colonel, it's good to have you on the program here in Cleveland. How are you good, sir? Hey, Bob. Uh, doing just great. An honor to be back on your show. I was going to put you in the front leaning rest and ask for 20 push-ups there, but you got you, you corrected yourself on the race. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, okay. I knew uh, that. That's a big mistake there, and I would have had to drop down and do them, too. Uh, so, so. Colonel, let's uh, let's let's break this down. Um, I, I've I've got a well. First of all, let's just let's just go to the obvious part, okay? And that is, 
If Joe Biden is too feeble to stand trial, how can he still be president? How can they not? How can the attorney general not invoke the 25th? Or if he is, if he says, no, he's, he's well enough to be president, his memory is fine enough to be president, how can they not then say, all right, you're going to stand trial for the willful uh, misconduct here of, of confiscating and keeping over the course of years and years and years classified and top secret documents? Yeah, it, 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 it's one or the other. If you're going to be intellectually honest here, uh, it has to be one or the other. Either he gets charged for willful. The key word in hers uh, uh, write-up, and I did read his write-up. Mm-hmm. I'm not a lawyer, but I've had to read, review, edit, prepare many legal documents and statements. Um, his his foray into the, the well-being of, uh, of Biden is a little bit unusual, but not not unheard of. And it's this is an extraordinary case, extraordinary situation, absolutely appropriate. And it's either, you know, every time that Reagan did the slightest thing, Bush Sr., Bush Jr., the first any time Trump held a, a glass of milk with two hands, they would just freak out in the fake outrage of, of uh, blue-controlled media and, say, 25th Amendment. Here, it's patently absurd not to consider this a factor, and uh, now they're angry. But it's either Merrick Garland, either uh, invoke the 25th Amendment, do your duty, or charge uh, Biden. Because the, the key word in this whole document was not, not his mental well-being. It was, it was the word willful, willful. But Colonel, what what makes that important? What makes that as important is during his little rage fest last Thursday night, um, he pointed out there were a couple of pages that said it was not willful, that it was not intentional, and he tried to make that he gaslit us and tried to make us think that that meant that the entire report said that none of the things that he kept was intentional. And there may have been, and since you read it line by line and page by page, you can maybe clarify that. I think he said page two thirty on one and page twelve on another lines that said it wasn't. Intentional intentional but but that is um that's uh, not that's not factually accurate accurate is it uh he must be reading a version he got from snopes or something like that <laughs> because uh, uh her uh made it very clear willful so end of statement it's as simple as that i mean you know so because he uh, uh there might have been some other actions that were not willful but uh, uh her was pretty con- very clear on this it was willful and there's actually been a number of even blue-leaning legacy media that uh, debunked uh, uh, Biden's own statements here. So uh, it's it's everything's gaslighting. I don't even know what the word gaslighting means, but the left uses it all the time, no matter what. So I'll use it all the time, no matter what. They were gaslighting. Well, it applies in this case. It absolutely does. Um, you know, he's trying to convince us of something that is absolutely not true and that we're crazy if we don't believe it. Um, and, and what I want to talk about is that legacy media, though, too, Colonel, because They've gone into overdrive. I went onto my uh, social media feeds on uh, a Friday morning, uh, the night after, and to see an almost, well, not almost, it was a very coordinated response by tons of bots. And if they're not bots, they're paid Biden supporters going out there using almost the same exact language in tweets and posts to say uh, that how, how, how terribly wrong the, that uh, Robert Hur was to include that, that it was an intentional well, hit job well, to try to make yeah. him sound incompetent and, 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 you know, in cognitive decline rather than addressing the fact here, which is the only reason he was let off of his myriad of crimes that were willful is because of that cognitive decline. 
Well, Bob, you just identified this is the modern variation of the Clinton-Carville facts. Remember during those days they, they had uh, uh, triangulation um, and uh, they always had faxed talking points. So no wonder they always sound the same. Here it's just it's more electronic social media. No wonder because they just the same groups, the same activist Soros groups just that facts at the modern version of uh, the Clinton Carville faxing of talking points during the 90s. Now they're just emailing, using social media. Everybody say this. Uh, it's, it's contrived. This is why the American people want authenticity in a leader. And when everybody's uh, in cadence uh, mimicking the same dry talking points, it's obvious that it's all uh, a charade. And uh, so that's it. I mean, again, sorry, the word is willful. He willfully did it. It's mm-hmm. either one or the other, either charge him uh, or uh, remove him under the 25th. Ladies and gentlemen, there there should not be two sets of justices. I mean, they are using lawfare on a, on a scale never seen before in America to attack Trump no matter what. Um, and yet, uh, they get, uh, they get a shot to the face here and, uh, that they're just freaking out. I'm sorry. Uh, it was Paul Begala, uh, some of the other advisors, um, um, you know, they, uh, you know, they they see that this is not good, uh, uh, you know, Axelrod, this is not good for Biden. And now they're scrambling. Do they swap them out? You know, can they swap them out? I, I think it's a party decision and, and it's kind of unprecedented, but they could well, they're, swap. Yeah, but they're uh, scrambling to defend him, though. Rather, than, you know, because when I first, I will tell you this, Colonel. When when I first saw the the press conference, I said this is the beginning of the end. They have now uh, essentially sacrificed him and thrown him to the wolves. They threw him out there in front of a, a press that was going to be aggressive and that was not going to be submitting pre-approved questions, where he has a list of people to call on, like he does at some of those other very few press conferences he holds. They were going to throw him to the wolves as the first step toward literally replacing him because they know he cannot win given his current condition uh but but the more we have heard since then he demanded to go out there and then kamala harris went out and attacked robert her in very aggressive tones for her uh and and again so is everybody else you know essentially saying he is not what robert her accused him of being he does remember when he was vice president he does remember everything about his son's death he does remember uh, everything about those documents and it's all a big lie and a big conspiracy if they were going to replace him colonel wouldn't they be advancing what my first thought was here and that is yeah we agree he's not able to do this anymore for anymore we got to get him out now this is this is this is a football uh, two-minute drill they got to have some yardage their backs are against uh their backs are against their goal line here they need some yardage to give them some breathing room that's what this frantic behavior is all about but they uh uh i think i think there's a strong possibility they're going to try and swap them out of the convention uh and you know right now this is just uh, chaff and flares to distract uh but uh i mean it's patently obvious there is a situation going on with uh this person and uh this, this is the same one that has their hands on the nuclear codes yeah, yeah so, and uh, that's, a, that's the, a terrifying the, thing yeah, this is this. These are absolutely reasonable questions, but you know their game of you know uh, you know shouting down uh, anybody who says, says. I mean, it's just not working, and uh, and it's just uh, so. 
Now, I, I, uh, this, is, this is distraction, and uh, I would not be surprised to see a swap out at the convention. I, I want to ask you another question about this from a justice standpoint. We are talking with re- retired uh, U.S. Colonel John Mills. Um, and by the way, you should follow his substack and read his work at Colonel Retired John. Dot substack.com retired is abbreviated ret so colonel ret john dot substack.com but colonel i when i when i watched that uh, and and read what i read which was the coverage of the her report i did not read it in its entirety as you did but it struck me as where have i heard this before where have i seen this movie before and the answer is about four weeks three four weeks before the 2016 presidential election james comey stood before America and spent 20 minutes reading all of Hillary Clinton's crimes pertaining to her email server, her unsecured server server in her bathroom or broom closet or wherever it was in uh, Chappaqua, New York, um, in which uh, she had kept uh, top-secret documents, highly classified documents, and all kinds of other things. And Comey said some of these, there was evidence, were hacked and were uh, uh, accessed by by foreign bad actors. So he spent 20 minutes laying out all of her crimes, and the only possible way to conclude those remarks would be she is being charged for for these crimes. And instead, he ends with, by the way, no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. See you, everybody. Have a nice day. That's what just happened with Robert Herr. This report said, here is all of the crimes that Joe Biden committed, but by the way, we, the no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. And then meanwhile over here is Donald Trump. And he's being charged with how many felonies for, for classified documents that he and only he, of the three people involved here, Hillary, Biden, and Trump, he was the only one who was a president who was able to actually declassify the documents that he kept. Well, I think that's this, this kick is you always need precedent in legal cases. And the precedent, uh, the precedent has been set that uh, they're going to look the other way when it comes to Hillary, when it comes to uh, Biden. And again, a president is absolutely allowed to leave office with classified documents, an absolute lie and fraud. The, the real, uh, uh, the real, uh, villain is to weaponize national archives in this that fail to do their duty and show up uh, when uh, Trump is departing his first term and properly uh, uh, box up and move the documents. Totally failed to do that. That's the real villain in this whole episode. But now we know, and, and, and I know some of the, the some of the senior people who've been over at the archives, uh, it is now a weaponized department. We never thought that national archives would be weaponized. The librarian of the United States government is now weaponized. Okay, wow. You know, where they're going to start weaponizing the National Park Service uh, custodians. I mean, of course, that's <laughs> this is the game. So, uh, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is deep state weaponization. I point this out in my my second book, War Against the Deep State, the unlawful fourth, fifth and sixth branches of the government, the rise of the, the mass surveillance state. This is the game. This is the game. Everything is now weaponized. Everything. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is, and it's what makes it so frustrating and and difficult to to accept is the the fact that they choose who they are going to you know turn those weapons against, uh, and they choose based on ideology. As I said, what was done to Donald Trump is criminal. When I mean, if you look, 
If they had charged Hillary Clinton in her email scandal with the classified documents that she took with her electronically and made available in an unsecured server to other people, if they had charged her with felonies and, and locked her up, you know, now, now they want to make the same. It, it would still, I think, be difficult to make the same exact uh, uh, stand against Donald Trump because he was president and could declassify documents. But if the National Archives wanted to be weaponized against Hillary Clinton and if they had done the same thing against Joe Biden was going on against Donald Trump, I'm not going to scream too loudly about presidential uh, powers of declassification here because they're doing it the same. But, but Colonel, this is weaponizing against specific individuals who are indeed trying to expose what you write about in the deep state. Yeah, yeah, and, and absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, declassification. So one of their chief uh, chief uh, uh, perpetrators, uh, Weiss, I think it is, wrote this 2014 executive order on handling of classified information. Obviously, nobody's actually read that document. I've read that document. I actually uh, I, I was in and out of the White House as a career uh, a civilian working for Department of Defense. I was one of the senior liaisons with the White House and the National Security staff. I actually sat on, uh, there for a period of time, end of Bush, beginning Obama. And um, so if you actually read Weiss's document, the fool who's running around waving this thing, um, you know, it actually it, it actually uh, 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 exonerates because uh, it gives even more credence that a president has absolute classification, declassification authority. And uh, if, even if he verbally, he or she says verbally, the document's declassified, guess what? It's declassified. So total, total lie. Um uh, on this, um, so yeah, just just one more example of the deep staters. And that's why, uh, for all those listening, uh, you, you got to get involved uh, and work behind the counter during the election process. Be an election officer in your county. Everybody, this is some mystery, but in the 3,300 counties across America, the most important position, the sacred foundation of our constitutional republic, is voting, and everybody's going. Well, who counts the vote? Who stands behind the counter? Well, 90% of those who stand behind the counter counting votes are actually deputized citizens during the election period who uh, supplement the registrar's, uh, uh, registrar's workforce. Uh, and, you know, the Republican Party will stay, say, oh, be an election observer. What total total waste of time, uh, stand behind that volunteer to be a reg, uh, an election officer, stand behind the counter, count the votes. That's why uh, November is so important. Yeah, it is. It, it, there's nothing more important, no question about it. We are talking with uh, uh, Colonel John Mills. Colonel is a, a former director of cybersecurity policy, strategy, and international fail- affairs at the uh, office of the Secretary of Defense. So he would know uh, the deep state when he sees it, and he also knows about the weaponization of uh, departments, including the archives. Yesterday, uh, I uh, did a TV interview where I recorded a, a, a program with uh, Dr. J. Michael Waller, one of your colleagues at the Center for Security uh, Policy. And we talked about, you know, the KGB and we talked about, you know, what is happening now. And he's uh, he's talking about the weaponization of the CIA and the FBI. And we have already seen the weaponization of the IRS. Now that you bring up archives between the two of you guys, I mean, we're essentially seeing the weaponization of the whole of government against the people, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what's so uh, ridiculous, silly and evil about this is, uh, yeah, it's uh, 
It, it is we, even the government librarian, the National Archivist, is now uh, a hardcore lefty um, that uh, can't be trusted. And again, they totally failed in their duties. They're the real villain in all of this was their failure to, that's their job, go there, box up these documents, because uh, almost all World War II, post-World War II presidents have uh, top-secret documents uh, in their uh, reading rooms uh, uh, at, the, at the presidential libraries, okay? I mean, you even go, some of them, some of those documents have been declassified and are in the museum for everybody to see, and, you know, just like... Um, um, presidential directive 75 and from 1983 it's at the reagan library you know you can go and look at it right there it's on the wall formerly a very highly classified document so it's a total lie uh this is weaponization of every aspect that's why i say even the national park service janitors uh, uh will only clean blue bathrooms and not red bathrooms i guess yeah, that's that's a pretty astounding thing. Uh, the realization that we're getting is um, is 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 hard to uh, it's hard to swallow. But uh, the information is there in uh, Colonel Mills' uh, book, "War Against the Deep State." His latest book, "War Against the Deep State." I'm looking at it right now. Make sure that you pick this up. Uh, it just came out uh, this past fall, and it's a very important read right now as we continue to see exactly how deeply weaponized the government has turned against. Uh, uh, people of different ideologies uh, than they espouse themselves. Colonel Mills, thank you so much for the time. As always, we appreciate the chance to talk to you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Uh, Ten fifty-six. We're going to get us takes us to the top of the hour, and on the other side of our top of the hour break, we're going to bring it home to Cleveland. And they're trying to bring tourists to Cleveland. Destination Cleveland is basically the Cleveland Tourism Board. Uh, they're trying to bring people and money and revenue into Cleveland by advertising. But what kind of advertising are they doing? And is this advertising family-friendly? We're going to talk to the Vice President of PR and Communications for Destination Cleveland about an ad that aired that same day. We'll even wallacadoodle it by taking away your old one and clean it up like we've never been there. Just call Why It Works and consider it done. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Friends on AM 1420, The Answer. All right. Third and final hour of this Wednesday edition is underway now. It's seven minutes past 11 o'clock. It is a Wednesday. It is Valentine's Day Wednesday. It also happens to be Ash Wednesday. So happy Valentine's Day to the lovers and uh, a very blessed Ash Wednesday to those uh, beginning the uh, 
uh, season of Lent, which, of course, is the holiest season on the entire Catholic calendar. And we know there are a lot of people to whom that applies. It is also the 14th morning of the second month in the year of our Lord, 2024. Thanks to um, tremendous guests. We've had just a very busy day today. Bernie uh, Marino. Senate candidate, uh, spoke with us in hour number one. That interview, by the way, is now posted separately at whkradio.com for your, um, uh, approval, or excuse me, for your perusal and for your approval. Let me know what you think of it because, uh, it's very important issues that he addressed. And we're going to have Frank LaRose and Matt Dolan, if we can get them both on. Uh, to talk about those very, very same issues. But you're going to want to hear what Bernie had to say, especially in response to the WKYC uh, piece on uh, on his legal situation. So we had that in hour number one. We had Bruce Eberly, author of Choose Freedom. In hour number two, we just finished a great conversation with retired Colonel John Mills about the deep state. And now we want to turn our attention to Cleveland. If you didn't see it, there was an ad uh, on Super Bowl Sunday that was run by the Cleveland Tourism Board, otherwise known as Destination Cle- uh, Cleveland. And this ad was aired during the not actual game, because that would have cost $7 million for a 30-second ad, but it was aired during the Puppy Bowl as part of the pregame ceremony. I did not see it live. I had somebody call me on the program and tell me this uh, about the ad. And so I looked it up, and I watched it, and I found it very, very interesting, including some of the content within that ad. Cute ad, uh, having a dog kind of wandering around Cleveland and uh, uh, seeing all of the different things that tourists can see. So they, they played into the puppy bull angle, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there were some questions that were raised by the content of that ad, and so I asked Seth to reach out to Destination Cleveland to talk about those. And Emily Lauer, Vice President of PR and Communications, was kind enough to say, yeah, we can talk about it. So she joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Emily, it's good to have you on the program. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm great. And yourself? Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on. I appreciate what the, the the board does, too. Is it fair to call Destination Cleveland basically the tourism board of the city? We are the only organization that promotes Cleveland outside of Cleveland to get okay. visitors to come to Cleveland, as well as um, the halo effect of that, and that's getting people interested in moving to Cleveland. There you go. All right. So I think that's a fair way to describe it. I still want to make sure I'm branding it properly when I talk about Destination yeah. Cleveland. So, so it is a very important organization and a good organization with great, um, uh, a, a, a very great responsibility here. And that is to do exactly as you said, grow the city in terms of population and of course, in terms of revenue and, and visitors and so forth. David Gilbert, who is the president and the CEO is a very good man. I got to know him some when I used to do sports radio and used to do the great, the great Cleveland sports awards that he, of course, was in charge of as well. Good man. I really, really appreciate him and uh, so many of the others who work on that uh, uh, in your organization. So I want to talk about the ad on Super Bowl Sunday. And to describe it for people who are listening to radio now, you don't have the benefit of the video. You know, there's a cute dog. It's a bulldog. Is a bulldog? It is an English bulldog. English bulldog. Okay, good. I had my breeds right. So a cute little English bulldog is kind of wandering the city, shows up at a Browns tailgate party. It's cute. Uh, guys are sitting there throwing the ball to him and whatnot. And uh, see him in restaurants and, you know, people eating by the lake, uh, which is uh, very uniquely Cleveland as well. Street performers playing guitars. And looks like a concert at one of the venues he was in. And the Capitol Theaters feature all things that are, you know, they just scream Cleveland and the land. Very unique to our city. And all of those things are wonderful. First of all, uh, tell me about the idea and the concept of tying it into the Puppy Bowl. 
Well, Bob, you know, you mentioned in the intro that uh, airtime on Super Bowl Sunday is uh, pretty pricey. And um, <laughs> so, so we were looking for a way to be creative and bold, but perhaps not with um, an exorbitant price tag for Cleveland. So we um, worked with our ad, our ad agency out in Kansas City, MMGY Global. Been working with them since we launched the Cleveland brand back in 2014, and they came to the to us with this idea. You know, really the puppy bowl kind of. If you think about the tie, of course, the dog pound. Um, you know, a kind of a different perspective on visiting Cleveland. Um, and so we went with the dog's day off in Cleveland and have had a lot of great response to the ad. Yeah, well, and you should, because uh, like I said, it's a, it's a very cute ad and it features a lot of the great things about Cleveland. By the way, I didn't know what you just said until you said it. I'm curious, and no disrespect to the agency in Kansas City, but I'm surprised that Destination Cleveland doesn't use an ad agency based in Cleveland. Any particular reason why? Well, well, so, you know, it's it's a question we've had before, and we do use agencies in Cleveland. Um, from For this project and for the brand, though, um, if you think about who we're trying to attract to Cleveland, it's people who live outside of Cleveland. And so while Clevelanders are very positive about Cleveland, you know, really energetic about recommending Cleveland as a destination, when you're trying to get someone from outside, we found that it was helpful to have that outside perspective in helping us, you know, create the Cleveland brand and all that is around it, right? Because they're exactly who we're trying to attract. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, and I'm glad to know that you do use Cleveland agencies as well, because obviously that's the whole point here is to try to promote Cleveland, Cleveland companies, employees, and so on and so forth. Now, so the ad is is cute. It's it's fun. It's family friendly. It's it's you know it's the dog going to all of these different places and uh, plays perfectly into the puppy bowl at a reasonable price as opposed to during the football game, and that is all well and good. But now the hard part, Emily. Why is the dog going into a drag show? And wearing a T-shirt that says, Tip Your Queens. How does a family-friendly commercial, which is intended to draw families to experience Cleveland-centric uh, things, include a show that is controversial, partic- to say the least, particularly in this moment in time, but would be any time, you know, featuring men dress- dressing in outlandish and garish and provocative costumes, encouraging the tipping of said men, Tell me the thinking of including that in with Brown's tailgating, uh, playoff square, theaters, eating by the lake, and so forth. Tell me how that fits in the family-friendly messaging of the ad. Well, so, Bob, you know, your interpretation is that it is uh, intended for families. And absolutely, we work to attract families to Cleveland. But we also work to attract people who are single, couples who don't have children. So our audience is broader than just families. And so... In our job, right, we need to represent all of Cleveland and, you know, the diverse community that we are, people of all interests and backgrounds. And so the visitor, our, our, all of our work is based on research. And what our research tells us is that it is a variety of experiences that people who are interested in Cleveland are interested in experiencing when they're here. And so when we looked at things like music and entertainment, uh, the Browns tailgate you talked about, right? Drag shows and the LGBTQ community are a part of what makes Cleveland Cleveland. And so we wanted to ensure that the ad was welcoming to all visitors, not just one certain segment. Emily, you put it on during the Puppy Bowl. 
It's the puppy yes. bowl. It's, it's kids. Yes. It's the puppy bowl. You didn't, if you put that ad on and have that portion of it during RuPaul's whatever show that she's on or he's on or whatever, I mean, I get it. You're trying to appeal to a different, diverse customer base. I get it. This is the puppy bowl. This is family time in front of the TV on Super Bowl Sunday. Little kids, um, are, 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 are not, in my estimation, and I'm sure parents probably feel the same way, uh, we don't want their little kids being, what, what does it mean to tip your queens? Uh, you know, what does that mean? Why is the dog wearing a tip your queens thing? And why is that man running around on stage in a, in a, in a sequined, uh, uh, t- uh skin tight leotard? Um, it, it's a bizarre thing to try to present on a family show, on a family day, not to a niche audience, which again, I get it. You want to, you want to draw money and tourists and visitors from all over in a diverse, uh, in a way, and that's fine. But you would think that there would be targeted audiences for certain things. And I think targeting family day during the puppy ball with drag queens and a drag queen, I mean, a, uh, tip your queen's t-shirt on the, on the dog. It's kind of a tough mix. Bob, you know, you and your listeners, I understand there was a call earlier this week, absolutely entitled to, to your opinion on, on the ad and what should and shouldn't be included. You know, we respect that. Um, we, as I said, you know, look to welcome all types of visitors and represent the entire community. Um, in a 30-second ad, that was maybe five seconds of it, if that. Probably um, fewer than that. So um, we were comfortable with our decision to include that as part of the full array of experiences that we included in the ad. How much of a role does DEI play in Destination Cleveland? And I asked this after viewing the website. Uh, This is cleveland.com and linking at your staff, again, of people for whom I have a great deal of respect, or the ones that I know, like Dave, for example, uh, David Gilbert. Um, I'm perusing the staff page, and I'm noticing in great big, uh, bold font letters, names of the individuals, and then a series of pronouns by which these individuals, um, I guess, choose to be identified. Can you tell me, in a, again, if your goal is to reach a broad base of people, the broadest possible, quite frankly, because you want to bring as much money and revenue and persons to the city to either visit or live as, as possible, um, that is a very, very niche, niche um, uh, percentage of the population, a very tiny percentage of the population that wants to identify themselves as something other than what they are obviously by, by, by observation. Why is it so important to put all of these pronouns on the Destination Cleveland website? So you, your original question, Bob, was about the role that DEI plays at Destination Cleveland. Yeah. And it plays a very important role, and it always has. And for us, that means walking the talk. And we, the, the names that you see on the website, each mm-hmm. of those individuals had the opportunity to make a decision as to whether they wanted to have their pronouns listed. And I believe it's every, every member of our leadership team does from an inclusivity perspective. And the, those were individual decisions. I can't speak to each person's. Yeah, but are uh, they really, that? though? If I may, I'm sorry, Emily. And we're talking yeah. with Emily Lauer, by the way, Vice President PR in Communications for Destination Cleveland. You know, I, I, I kind of, I kind of, you know, look uh, with a side eye toward things like that because you know, and I know that in this, 
very bizarre time of this massive spike in 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 uh, uh, different self identifications and so forth that anybody that doesn't go with the flow and go along with the with the trend they're ostracized. Um, in other words, if you're given a choice, quote unquote choice, as to whether or not you want to put pronouns next to your name on the on on the company website, and you choose not to, you are identifying yourself as somebody who is not part of the ally, uh, the, the the you know, not not an ally to the community, and nobody wants to go through that. So you may call it a choice, but you know full well nobody's going to choose if everybody else is going with the pronoun flow to say not me, because now you become a homophobe or a transphobe in the eyes of, of so many others. This is happening everywhere. It's not just Destination Cleveland. Bob, I, I respect your perspective on that. I can tell you that we have um, very strong individual personalities on our leadership team, and if someone felt strongly about not including them, they wouldn't be there. And, you know, inclusion is a value of Destination Cleveland. You know, we... But you, but you know, Emily, as well as I do, that inclusion literally marches hand in hand with exclusion. If you're trying to include a very, very small percentage of the population and you see those who don't go along with it being ostracized, canceled, uh, you know, made made to feel shame for not being an ally and so forth, they they literally become excluded. They don't have the freedom to say what they really believe. They don't say they don't they don't have the ability to say, look, if you're a female, you're a she and a her. You're not a they. There's only one of you strict grammar rules tell us you know what we're supposed to use here and i know if i say that out loud i'm either going to lose my job or i'm going to lose my friends or i'm going to be the outcast in the company you're you're not so you are by being inclusive by the very definition of it hand in hand excluding people who want to say what they really feel but can't we have individuals in our organization who absolutely say how they feel and it is not always you know, how the majority feels. So, you know, I, I can't tell you how it is anywhere else, but I can tell you at Destination Cleveland, um, we value people's opinions and we respect people's opinions, even if they are different than the majority of, of our the rest of our team. And that's okay. That's actually what makes us a great team to represent Cleveland because we are representing all of those views. Um, one, one last question for you, Emily, and I appreciate your willingness to come on and explain this to me. Um, and to everybody listening, um, you say DEI plays a very big role in Destination Cleveland. Does the board hire based on diversity and equity and inclusion models or quotas? We absolutely do not um, make hiring decisions based on background and other characteristics related to DEI. We are looking to have individuals on our team who will best represent Cleveland bring great perspectives and great experience and be able to fill the need for the roles that are available. I'm very glad to hear that. The only reason I ask it is, of course, because when you say DEI is is, is prominent in the way that Destination Cleveland is run, um, as you know, DEI typically refers to looking for um, uh, equitable outcomes when it comes to, you know, um, demographics, when it comes to based on race or based on sexuality or sexual orientation or self-identification or whatever characteristic you want to use, usually companies and, and including academia 
uh, schools, when they say they are committed to DEI, they they hire based on that so that they can have a certain percentage of everyone, quote unquote, everyone, big picture or uh, writ large there, represented. So that's the reason I ask, how do you achieve DEI if you're not hiring on that basis? Well, part of that is, you know, it's where the hiring process begins, Bob. And I'm not an, a human resource expert, uh, but I can tell you that what, when we have positions available, we ensure to cast the widest net possible, including sharing the information with groups that are underrepresented. Because it's about, you know, it starts in making sure that everyone has an equal opportunity to learn about the position. If you don't have an equal opportunity to learn about the position, then you can't say that you are trying to be inclusive in your hiring. And that's where we start. I can tell you I'm hiring for a position right now, and there has been absolutely no indication of um, needing to meet quota numbers. And that's good. That, that, that I'm very, very glad and gratified to hear that because that's I mean, obviously to do it any other way would be illegal. I mean, literally a violation of the Civil Rights Act to discriminate on the basis of anything when it comes to employment, just like housing and other things, to discriminate based on appearance or based on sexuality or sex or any of those kinds of things. Um, it, it's illegal in the first place. So I'm glad to know that you guys are indeed following the law because it's important. Um, and, and again, I have no problem with exposing job opportunities to a wide variety of people. I agree with casting a broad net. My whole point is, of course, I would hope that no one, including uh, you know organizations like yours that are that are funded by and supported by the city um, would be breaking any laws and saying when it comes down to the hiring decision between person A and person B, we're going to go with the underrepresented group because that would be discriminatory against the majority represented group, right? So, Bob, I just want to um, clarify two things. One, we have an amazingly diverse staff at Destination Cleveland, mm-hmm. all of whom were given job offers because they qualified for the position and they bring amazing perspective to our organization. And the the second item is is actually where the clarification is. And that's on how we're funded. Um, Most people don't realize we're actually funded by what's called the the lodging tax. It is a tax that people who sleep in hotels in Cuyahoga County pay on their hotel bill. So by and large, our funding comes from people who visit Cleveland. It does not come from Clevelanders or Cuyahoga County residents unless they sleep in a hotel in Cuyahoga County. So more than 90% of that funding is from visitors. The other, the remaining um, money is from our partners who, by advertising on our website, by advertising in our publications, um, so that's the other 7% of our revenue. So Clevelanders, we are not tax-funded by the city or the county from dollars that are paid by Cuyahoga County residents. Okay, I, I do appreciate that clarification. To the first point, by the way, once again, uh, so you, you are essentially saying that Destination Cleveland is run as a meritocracy. The most qualified person gets the job, regardless of what their background or their appearance is, right? Absolutely. Okay, that's important. Glad to hear that. Second part is, thank you for the clarification on that. It would still encompass, though, you know, greater Cleveland, because, you know, a lot of people spend, you know, evenings in Cleveland or spend weekends in Cleveland, you know, even if they live in one of the outer ring suburbs, and they go in and they're going to go to a show and they're going to go have things and they, and they do have hotel stay. But I do get the point that you're talking about a significant majority of those revenues come from people who are, you know, probably far outside of Cleveland, right? Correct. We, we, uh, 
last in 2022, which is the last year that we have visitor data for, we had just shy of 18 million visits to Cuyahoga County. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because, you know, and we, we specifically say that because our funding comes from tax paid at Cuyahoga County hotels. It doesn't come from hotels in the, the contiguous counties. So, um, you know, with nearly 18 million visits to Cuyahoga County, uh, the vast majority of those are from people who live outside of the greater Cleveland area. Got it. Okay. Well, I appreciate that clarification about where the funding comes from. And uh, and again, congratulations on what I believe to be otherwise a cute ad during the Puppy Bowl featuring that dog running around. But again, the questions about whether or not it was necessarily the right audience in a family-friendly day is one that uh, I guess people can debate for themselves. But I truly appreciate your willingness to come on and discuss it with me. Thank you for the opportunity, Bob. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Emily Lauer, Vice President of PR and Communications for Destination Cleveland. And that wraps up our interviews today. We've had some big ones. It's at clevelandorchestra.com. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, good friends. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's our final segment of this Ash Wednesday, and I, again, will repeat my best wishes to you and my blessings for a blessed Ash Wednesday and the start of the Lenten season for those of us who are believers. Um, it's an important day. It's also, of course, Valentine's Day, too, so hopefully you have uh, something special planned for the loved one in your life uh, today as well. Uh, I want to remind you, too, at about 2.15, let me I'm trying to double-check the clock here what time is it going to start it's going to start at no it's at well i think this is wrong i think the guide is wrong i'm looking at the um channel guide for uh roku television and um uh and uh plex tv which is where you can watch my strictly speaking program and it looks like yeah, it looks like it's going to be at 4.20 today is when it's going to launch. It's hard to follow the uh, the guide sometimes. Um, but at 4.20 today on Channel 529 on Roku, you can also watch on Plex TV on the True Blue Channel as well as on TCL TV. Um, Patrick Wood is my guest. Patrick Wood and I... Uh, have been kind of working together, doing a bit of a podcast called Stand and Deliver for CFFS, Citizens for Free Speech, for the last couple of years. Uh, we took uh, some time off because Patrick had a very significant and severe health scare. He actually suffered a stroke and then had a heart uh, ailment shortly after while in recovery from the stroke. He's alive by the grace of God, by the miracle, literally a miracle of God. His doctors, when he started to recover... Um, had no earthly idea how and why he was recovering. He wasn't supposed to. The condition that he was left in was very, very severe and serious, and he was not supposed to to recover, and he did. And he started, uh, he wasn't supposed to be able to walk again, he wasn't supposed to be able to speak clearly again, and lo and behold, a few months pass, and he is up and on his feet, and he is back to, he's, he's undergoing speech there. I'm giving you a lot of background information only because I'm very fond of the man and I'm very proud of him for what he has done. He has undergone rehabilitative therapy, not just on the physical things that most people would have to do if you suffer from something, you know, like learning to walk or getting strength in your upper body. He has to, he has to undergo speech therapy, speech pathology. There are things that, you know, he's, he, he has clear in his head, but the transition due to the stroke, the transition from mind to, to tongue to you know to to 
expressing the words, it is sometimes blocked, and the word doesn't come out right, and it does the word is lost, and so forth. There are things. It's really he's such a brilliant man. It's really rough uh, to listen to him have to try to struggle through certain things that are speech related, not thought related, not mind related, not ability related, not cognitively related. Does that make sense? Anyway. So we took some time down, but he's back now, and he was back well enough to do an hour plus with me on Strictly Speaking, which airs today. It looks like it's going to be at about 4.20 on those channels, and it's on demand on TrueBlue.com. But Patrick wrote a book, and I had him on shortly after it came out last year, called The Evil Twins of Technocracy and Transhumanism and the Threat that They Pose to All of Us, Quite Honestly. It's a fascinating conversation. Technocracy and transhumanism are both literal threats to humankind, or at least to the human condition as we are currently living it. I'll I'll put it that way. At the same time, those who would speak out against either of those things, technocrats or transhumanists, are routinely censored and suppressed and silenced, which is why Patrick founded back in 2018, the um, the uh, Citizens for Free Speech 501c3 that I work with. You need to be able to express yourself uh, without fear of being canceled because you are talking about something that they don't want anybody criticizing, including things like, well, the Neuralink that has just been put into the first human brain. Elon Musk is responsible for that. Elon Musk has been a champion of free speech, which puts him on Patrick and my good side because he bought Twitter and opened it up. But he is also uh, trying to tinker with the human brain by connecting it electronically to a chip that is implanted into the skull and can thus then be operated or controlled by anybody who's got the code. That's what transhumanism is. It's the merging of humanity with machine and it's beyond dangerous. So if you've got an opportunity in your home today at around 4.20 in the afternoon, this already aired this morning at around 6.30, but if you are uh, at home today and you've got an opportunity, you can also, even if you're not home, you can watch it on any of your devices, your phone or your tablet or your computer or whatever, just by going to the Roku app or the Plex app or the uh, CCL TV app. But... Um, Watch the interview that I do with Patrick. It's a full hour about technocracy, transhumanism, and free speech, and how they are all extraordinarily interrelated. I wish I could play a clip for you here, but I don't have enough time in this segment. But um, I'm about to post a 10-minute clip of it that you can watch um, to get an idea of what we are talking about. It's, it's very, very important. It's very, very interesting, and I hope you'll watch it and share it on your own social medias. Uh, it'll be media accounts. It'll be on uh, the France Rants account at... Uh, 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 excuse me, which is Twitter or X, France Rants, F R A N T Z R A N T Z, and it will be on the Facebook page as well, which is Always Right Radio. And Truth Social, which is Always Right WHK. I'll put it on all of those so that you can watch it and get a little taste of it, but then watch for the whole thing at about um, 4.20 this afternoon. The shows air, new shows air every Monday, Wednesday in the mornings and in the afternoons, and then on the off days, uh, there are replays of those shows. And so I really, really strongly encourage you to check that out. All right. Uh, while I'm doing self-promotion here as we get ready to wrap up this show, I want to remind you to go to whkradio.com. Bernie Moreno, Senate candidate, came on the program with me this morning. 
a day after a hit piece, which is the only thing I can describe it as, was run by WKYC, Channel 3, by a leftist uh, uh, news organization with a leftist reporter, and they did some selective editing and some selective presentation of facts as well. They ran that on uh, on uh, WKYC on Monday. I asked Bernie yesterday if he'll come on to address it. He said, absolutely, and here we are the next morning, which is today. He did exactly that. Yeah, I think the ex- Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.